You are listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. Good day. This is Katrina Kirkaby, and I'm here with Tina Spindler, and we are UC Master Gardeners, and we're going to be talking about April in the Garden. Welcome, Tina. Hi, Katrina. It's an exciting time of year. Oh, my gosh. It's April. This is what we've been waiting for. Yeah, such a, such a glorious time of year. Probably uh, one of the most beautiful months because everything is turning green and the new growth is starting and the flowers are blooming, fruit trees are blossoming. I don't know what's going on in your yard, but mine's looking pretty pretty awesome. Oh, my yard is so excited. It's just it's fun. You know, we've done all this work on getting our yards ready and our soil ready and our ground going and everything set up and now we get to plant and we get to see things growing and blooming. It is exciting. Yeah, this is the month where all of that preparation that we started in January, February, and March really pays off. We hopefully started some seeds, you know, in January and February, and if we did, those are about ready to go out in the garden. And so we got our soil ready. I hear you've been doing a lot of soil prep lately. Oh, well, actually, my husband's been doing a lot of soil prep. Oh, I love that man. He's got a strong back. God bless him. Bless his heart. Bless his heart for doing that. I know. That's not the fun part, that's for sure. So what are you getting your soil ready to plant? What, what's your, on your hit list to put in now? Well, we love vegetables. So right now, I'm on the vegetable kick. And we live out of our garden. So we planted, so far we've planted tomatoes and we've planted peppers, uh, sweet peppers and hot peppers. And we've pla we're planting squash and long beans this year. I'm really oh. excited about long beans. Now are you doing those from seed? No, I went to Fullerton Arboretum this year, and oh, I bought good. some long beans, good. and they're ready to go, and I was a little late, I wanted, I wanted them to go in quicker, and I saw them there, and I snatched them up. Good. I mean, hey, what the heck, when you have the ability to get some great plants from someplace, it's, uh, it's a great idea to do that. Uh, and it's wonderful. And Tina, you talked about your planting in cages this year. And I have taken that to heart. So we are having more cages with our cucumbers and some of our other vegetables and see how that works out this year. Oh, good. So you think that'll help you be more uh, animal proof? Not so much animal proof. I'm talking about cages for them to vine on. To oh, on. got it. Right. Those cages. Yeah. No, those, uh, those make great trellises and ways to keep your vegetables under control. So you can... Doing those with the chicken wire or with the concrete reinforcing wire? Which is your favorite? I, I have some tomato Texas cages. Uh -huh. And I have some, um, the, the concrete wire, which I have the tomatoes. I have two big long, probably about 20 feet long. Oh, wow. Trellises. Trellises going. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, this is, this is actually a, a big transition time in my garden. Um, did you do a lot of cool season um, veggies like lettuce and other greens? Oh, my goodness. We did some cool season. Um, we did everything. We've, we lived out of our garden. We did a lot of kale. We did lettuces. We did 
radishes, uh, oh, we did beets. We had a huge beet garden this last year. And Great. What the hardest part was is some of the things weren't ready to be harvested, and we needed to plant some of our other plants, our warm season. Right. So yeah. we ate what we could and just had to clear out a few things that we our timing just wasn't quite right. Yeah, maybe, let's talk about that because actually April is a huge transition month. It's it's spring, and we you know we look just at the hills where we live, right? And they're turning green, or, or they've turned green. Now they're turning brown because we've had all this hot weather. But um, you know we see a lot of the trees leafing out, and it's it's a great time of new growth. But we also, uh, particularly in our veggie and flower gardens, have a lot of the cool season stuff that isn't finished yet. And we don't want to rip it out. I still have, you know, peas. I planted a second set of peas, um, snap peas, and, you know, those are just flowering now. So I'm going to get an, a new crop of peas. I still, as you said, have kale growing. Some greens, some of them have bolted already, but I do still have some, you know, lettuces and other greens still going. Just pulled out a whole batch of carrots um, today. So that gives me a little bit of new space where I can plant something for the warm season, but um, let me tell you, if, if you don't mind, a few of my strategies for doing this transition. So one of the reasons that I like to use that concrete reinforcing wire as a trellis is in the winter time, of course, we can use that trellis for the snap peas, right? And then when the snap peas are done, and I have one section of snap peas that is done, then I can use that same trellis for the tomatoes. So I pull out just the things that are the snap peas that are in front of that trellis, but the lettuce and carrots and onions that are in front of that trellis, I can still leave those, you know, because the snap peas are done. And that, so that gives me, you know, like a 10, 12 inch uh, space in front of that trellis that I can cultivate while still leaving the crops that I'm still finishing up from the cool season in front of that. So that's one reason that I like to do that long trellis. Like you said, you did like an almost 20-foot long trellis for your tomatoes. Because then the same thing happens in the fall, right, when your tomatoes are, are going to be finished. Then you can yank those out, cultivate that soil, and start the snap peas again in the fall. So um, I really like that long trellis, you know, rather than the round tomato cages, because that just takes up... I think so much more room and gives you less options when you're trying to transition between seasons. You know, I like the trellis too because I work on both sides. Absolutely. And you can reach the fruit from both sides. And I like, you know, you have to be a little more diligent about tying up your, your vines, whatever you're growing, tomatoes mm -hmm. or peas or beans. Um, so you do have to, you know, walk out there and once a week take your little green tape you know, and, and tie up the new growth. Whereas if you have a tomato cage, you can just kind of let that tomato sprawl, you know, inside that tomato cage. But if you don't mind being just a little bit more diligent, I think that it saves you a lot of space. And more importantly, this time of year, it helps you transition from one season to the next. Because I rarely ever dig up an entire bed. I'm usually doing little chunks at a time. I, I don't know if that, I know that's one of the advantages to doing the whole square foot gardening method is you divide your garden into square feet and then you're only replanting, you know, one square foot at a time or a couple square feet at a time. And while I don't follow the square foot method um, 
exactly. I do kind of divide mine into chunks, you know. I'll have that long row of tomatoes or beans, and then going perpendicular to it, I'll have a couple of short rows of another crop, you know, peppers or um, some uh, bush beans or, or something like that. So, so right now, I'm just, you know, harvesting little sections. Like today, I harvested um, probably a, a, a two-foot by four-foot section of one of my raised beds that had carrots in, and I just harvested all of them. Oh my gosh, I got a whole bucket full of carrots. Good thing they keep. Aren't they wonderful? <laughs> it's so sweet. It's, oh. Yeah, and the nice thing about carrots is, you know, you, you store them in the fridge and they last for a good long time. So, um, so yeah, so what I'm planning on planting in that area then is some pepper plants. So now I have room to put a few pepper plants in. And I have some plants that are ready from when I started some from seed, you know, back the end of January. So that timing actually worked out for a change. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Well, I have, you just said several things. I have questions for you. Your sure. pepper plants. There's sweet peppers and there's hot peppers. Right. And they're both, you'd be planting both of them now, correct? Correct. And how far apart would you plant those? Uh, I plant them uh, maybe a little close together in my raised beds. I plant them about one foot apart, mm -hmm. and then I actually uh, stake them. I put a, a, a either a, one of the heavier little bamboo poles uh, or even use... You know, I, I told our listeners in a previous show, don't use those tomato cages, those small tomato cages, because they're worthless, right? The tomato gets too big. But what you can use those small tomato cages for are your peppers. And I like those small tomato cages for the peppers. I like them a lot for the peppers. Yeah. yeah. Um, because the peppers will start to lean, especially the bells. You know, the, they get those big bell fruits on, and um, they can get a little top-heavy and, and start heavy. to lean. Yeah. Now, the, the hot peppers, you know, the skinnier hot mm -hmm. peppers, I haven't had as much trouble with those leaning. But, man, those bell peppers can get a little top-heavy. So I like to use a tomato cage for them. And what else are you going to be planting? Well, from seed, it's, it's in my opinion, you know, you don't want to start peppers or tomatoes from seed now because they just take so long to get to a size when you can put them out in the garden. But any of the seeds that you would direct sow, in other words, plant directly in the ground, that you wouldn't want to start in six packs. So that would be zucchini, pumpkin, any of the squash family, cucumber. You can direct sow those now because the ground has warmed up. You know, one of the reasons we started those seeds inside is the ground was still cold. And so the seeds want a certain temperature to germinate. And so that's why we start them in the house where we've got a nice soil temperature. Well, now that April's here, you know, the soil temperature's warming up, especially because we've had all this silly 80, 90 degree days back in March. Our soil is getting nice and warm. Um, but yeah, you can plant all of those. And, and the way I like to think of it is, you know, the seeds that are big, right? The, the, the beans, the squash, the cucumbers, any of those seeds, they're larger seeds, easy to handle, good to direct sow. I still plant carrots. I, carrots are one of my favorite things to get out of my garden. They take kind of a long time to mature, but as I said, you know, I had this little two foot by four foot uh, area, and I have dozens and dozens of carrots, and I've already been harvesting them for probably six weeks. So I'm going to plant another crop of carrots, even though it's kind of a cool season veggie. Um, 
I find that I can kind of grow them all year round. Do you grow them all year well, round? Well, let me ask you a question, Tina. I have an area in my yard that doesn't get as much sun, and I live a bit inland. So I, inland. So I was thinking about planting carrot. It gets sun. It gets intense sun, but it doesn't get the full six, eight hours of sun. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit cooler during parts of the day. Uh, what do you think about planting carrots in that area? It's not as hot as my other area, but it doesn't quite get as much yeah. sun. Yeah, you know, I'd give it a try. Uh, I'm not sure. I I still plant my carrots in the in an area that gets just about six hours mm-hmm. of sun in the summer, but it doesn't get you know eight to ten hours of sun, uh, like the peppers and the tomatoes. You know, would love eight oh, to ten hours yeah. of sun, right? Um, so I too put my carrots you know, in a section of the garden that in the summertime only gets about six Mm -hmm. hours of sun so that it's not getting, you know, beat to death with the sun all day long. Uh, Less than six hours? I'm not sure. But, you know, it's worth a try. What the heck, you know? We'll try it out. Experiment. Exactly. Now, lettuce, I know, can take less. You know, lettuce can take four to six hours Mm -hmm. of sun. Uh, But oftentimes, even if it's in the summertime, you know, even if it's in the shade, if the air is still 90 degrees, your lettuce isn't going to be super happy unless you get, there are some varieties that are more heat tolerant. So I planted one last year called Scottsdale, I guess named after the town in Arizona. And I love that one. I'm, I want to plant it again. It was much more heat tolerant, but the leaves were not, some of those heat tolerant varieties, I think the leaves get kind of tough, mm-hmm. you know, Yes. but um, the Scottsdale one I, I enjoyed. It, it didn't seem to get quite so tough. So, so yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing is uh, in addition to the tomatoes and peppers and squash, I'll be planting cucumbers and I'm actually kind of getting to be more of a cucumber fan, trying different varieties. I used to just plant, you know, kind of the standard old slicing cucumber, but the last few years I've planted pickling cucumbers and I've made, um, sweet pickles and my family loves those. In fact, um, my daughter makes me ship them to her in San Francisco. She likes them so much. <laughs> oh, care packages. Yeah. So You're never too old for a care package. No. And and the um, the pickles are so easy to make uh, that uh, it's not um, you know it's a, you basically make a little brine um, and then of course you have to know how to use your canner to to can them, but they're they turned out great and they were super easy and the pickling cucumbers you know only get you only let those get about four to six inches long and only about an inch or so in diameter and boy are they productive and they're actually good eating too I put them in salads as well you know fresh but uh, I just I really enjoy that and then I I've become a fan of the Japanese cucumbers you know Oh yes I've yeah. been a fan of growing those for a number of years yeah. I really enjoy those I don't know why I just stuck to the plain old American slicing cucumbers for years uh, I'm really enjoying branching out and and trying other cucumbers and then there are you know some yellow cucumbers and there's just a lot of different ones that are kind of fun Now cucumbers are the ones we talk about put, putting them on a trellis or something There are bush cucumbers, but I personally prefer the ones that grow on the trellis just because I do the raised beds. And so I actually like things that go on trellises because it saves me space. Yeah. Do you do the bush ones or do you do the trellis ones? Uh, We are doing all trellis ones this year. Yeah. Yeah. And even though we have a large garden, it takes up space. And then we have choices if we... We have a problem that we just want to plant everything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm on nursery restriction and seed restriction. 
<laughs> and I just want to plant everything. And if I go vertical, I could plant more. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of the story in the, in the veggie garden is, you know, finishing up those cool season things. Don't want to waste them, right? Because it'll, it'll be a while before we can plant those beautiful lettuces again. You know, when I have the last of something, I just cherish it because I know I don't like buying it from the store and I do like to eat seasonally. So when I have the last of anything, it's just like a gift from the garden and it's so, thank you garden for giving. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's, I think what both of us are doing is we're, we're harvesting those last bits of lettuce, pulling out the root vegetables we planted, you know, the beets and the carrots that we planted last fall. And as each of those sections of our garden free up, we amend that soil, put new fertilizer, organic fertilizer in, and then plant our our new plants. And uh, right now I would, you know, purchase uh, tomatoes and peppers that have already been started. And then, as I said, go ahead and still plant from seed the beans and the squashes and any root vegetables. You know, just to remind people that if you hadn't planted these things from seeds, it's okay. You, you know, seeds, when you plant from seeds, it's, it's a whole experience planting from seeds, and it's a lot of fun, and it gives you a lot of choices that you don't get at your local nursery. But if you didn't do it, that's okay. You still have a lot of choices, and you could still garden. Can I tell you a secret? Yes, please. So you know I planted from seed, right? Right. Right. And then you know we had that stupid 90-degree weather, right? Yes. And I had my seedlings in my greenhouse, which is a perfect place if it's normal winter. But when it turns, the weather turns 90-degree and you're gone you know, overnight somewhere, they just fry. So oh. a good half of what I planted from seed burned up uh, because of our unseasonably hot weather so that could happen to the best of us it huh, does Tina? it that does and, and at first I was sad and then I went to Rogers Gardens and they have like a hundred different tomato varieties and pepper varieties and I thought not a big deal I can just replace what what uh didn't make it so yeah don't and, and and some people just don't have the time or the inclination to start or the from space seeds. or the space. You know, it yeah. takes some space to plant these things indoors and have a light for them and take care of them, and it's work. And and if if you want to do it, it's fine. And if you don't want to do it, it's fine too. Absolutely, most of us don't have huge gardens, so whether we, you know, if we have to spend three dollars on a tomato plant, it's probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, how many can we fit in our garden? I can, I can probably only get six tomato plants in my raised beds anyway. So, um, and then I have to move on to pots, which, <laughs> which I will do. But oh, and I'm sure you'll tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah, well, if of course, when you're starting your veggie garden, your warm season veggie, veggie garden, if you don't have room where you um, had cool season stuff planted because it's still going, sure, use containers. Absolutely. For tomatoes, um, I like to use big containers. You know, at least I like to do 18-inch, you know, wide pots. Uh, wine barrels, of course, are great. You can put a tomato in a wine barrel and surround it with basil or some other herbs, and have, you know, your own little uh, bruschetta garden. You know, in a in a single wine barrel, or put some onions around the edge of it. You know, lots. Lots of things you can do when you have a container that size. You know, speaking of containers, Tina, a lot of people that live here in Orange County have smaller yards or don't have a yard. 
Are there some tomatoes that grow larger than others and some that might be a little bit better for apartment or condo living? Yeah, we're going to have a whole, as you know, uh, Mark Fearley is going to have a whole show on tomatoes, so I'm sure he'll go into this um, in more depth. But just briefly, choosing tomatoes, there are two basic categories, determinant and indeterminate tomatoes. A determinant tomato stays smaller because what the way that it is programmed to grow is it grows to a certain height, it stops growing tall, it produces its fruit kind of all at once or over a short period of time, and then it's ready for you to harvest. Indeterminate tomatoes keep growing the entire growing season. And so in fact, because we never had a cold winter this last year, I still have an indeterminate tomato plant growing from last summer because we never got cold weather and it never died. So if you plant indeterminate, you have to have the ability to trellis that thing because it's just going to keep growing taller and taller and taller. So if you do live in an area where you can't um, put a tall trellis, then look for determinate varieties of tomatoes. Uh, sometimes they're labeled patio hybrids, and that is a, a more of a marketing tool to let you know that it's a plant that's going to stay shorter and appropriate for a patio. But odds are it's a determinate tomato that's going to stay shorter. And you can tell it's a determinate tomato when you look at it because there's a little tag on there, and in parentheses it says D or it says I. Mm -hmm. And that means determinate. And how I remember is is indeterminate because it'll grow for an indeterminate amount of time. Right. Or and an indefinite amount of indefinite, time. <laughs> indefinite amount of time. And determinate is like it's going to be done at a point. It's determined to get to this point and it's done. That's a great, great way to remember. Yeah. And if yeah. you're not sure, you know, we all, most of us carry our phones with us. You can always, uh, I was doing that actually today when I went to the nursery. There was a tomato variety I wasn't familiar with and I just typed it into my smartphone and looked up to see what kind of a tomato it was and that's also an option. And Tina, if people do have questions, they could go to our website. Absolutely. The Master Gardeners have an amazing uh, website that has tons of information on it and you can find that at www.uccemg Dot com, or we also have a hotline, and you can email questions to our hotline as well. And the hotline is, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on it. Um, we'll look that up. We'll get a business card out and look that up and let you know what the, the hotline is. It's also listed on our website, um, but I'm just drawing a blank on that email address right now. So we'll, we'll look that up in a minute. At... Well, I'm throwing a blank too, so yeah. it's well, oh dear, there must be something in the in the air. Um, but anyway, oh. yes, please, if you ever have any questions or want any information, our listeners can always visit our website. There's tons of good info on there. And there's a connection to the hotline number too. And those people that work the hotline love working the hotline, and they love being able to answer questions. And if you think your question's silly, it's okay. This is what they do. And if you think your question's complex, they love to hear about it too. And there's so much useful information on that website. Yeah, there really is. Really is. Well, I think we've pretty much covered how to transition in the veggie garden. Should we talk about transitioning in our um, flower. flower garden? Yes. yes. Yeah, my personal 
favorite. I love my veggie garden, um, but I love my flowers. They just make me so happy. And Tina always has flowers in her home from her garden. Yeah. It's one way you bring your outdoors in, and it's just beautiful. If you can't pick it, why grow it, you know? <laughs> exactly. If you can't eat it or pick it, right? <laughs> what's it doing there? So, so, But it is a transition time in the garden as well. I um, had a lot of bulbs that were blooming, and the dilemma with, with the bulbs is they don't, different bulbs bloom at different times, and so you get these patches of great bloom, and then they're done, and then you have this leftover bulb foliage you, with your, you're not supposed to cut off because it needs to stay to produce food for the bulbs so that they come back again the next year. So I always have a little bit of a dilemma, you know, what to do to spruce the garden up from a color standpoint. So what I've, I've learned to do is I plant things in clumps. And so when I plant the bulbs now, I plant them in, say, a little triangle or a little oval or something that's, you know, maybe one foot by two feet. And then I leave a section next to that for whatever the seasonal color is. So that means that while I have to leave the bulbs where they are right now, the annuals that are finishing up from the cool season, pansies, snapdragons, those sorts of things, which are, some are still blooming, but some are finishing up. As those finish up, I can pull those out, and then I have this other little couple foot area that I can start planting, you know, my new color in, my warm season color. Because now is when we want to switch to things like cosmos and marigolds and petunias, if you like petunias, um, vinca, probably a little early for vinca, that doesn't come until the weather gets a tad warmer, but it's basically the same process that we have in the veggie garden, uh, for me anyway, because I don't, at, at my age, don't like to dig up entire flower beds. I'm, I'm learning to uh, have little sections that repeat. So by having sections of color that repeat throughout the garden every you know six feet or so, it ties your whole garden together and it gives you more manageable spaces to deal with at any one point in time. You know, one thing you do, Tina, is that your, your garden looks good at all times. And I think by, by doing little sections of it, that everything doesn't have to be popping at the same time, but you have everything popping. You know, you have this popping, and then two weeks later, this is happening, and then the interest changed from week to week, and when this one's fading, somebody, something else is coming out to grab your attention, and then you really don't see what's fading or what's not there. It's true, and it, it takes a long time to, you know, get the hang of doing that, and you need a fairly decent-sized flower bed, you know, in order to do that, because if you only have a flower bed that's, you know, two feet by four feet, you know, you're probably going to be digging that whole thing up and changing it all at once. But if you have, you know, along the whole side of your house or around the whole, you know, perimeter of your lawn, if you still have a lawn, you know, if you have a, a large bed that kind of meanders around your property, then you're able to do this. And I like to uh, think of it as having clumps of perennials. So I think I think of my garden as clumps now, which is kind of a weird term, but... So I have clumps of perennial, and the perennial that I like to use the most in my garden is shafted daisies. And so I have, you know, clumps of those that repeat, you know, probably every 
you know, 10, 12 feet throughout the garden. And then in between is where I'll put some bulbs, some annual plants for the season, and that way I'm not digging up the entire bed every single time the season changes. Also, I use a lot of roses, so if you have a sunny garden, uh, think about planting, if you're going to redo a section, think about planting your roses first. And, you know, I like to have roses throughout the garden, so I'll have a rose and then I'll have, you know, maybe four or five feet before I have another rose. And then in between those rose bushes is where I can plant those bulbs, those annuals, or maybe some perennials. And then as you said, I'm never without something going off. So right now the roses are just forming their buds, not really blooming yet, but the bulbs are finishing up, you know, underneath the roses. So while they were nasty looking after we pruned them, the bulbs were coming up and blooming. And so that was what your eye really went to were those bulbs. And then you don't see what's not what's not being active, what's kind of dying away. Another thing you do, Tina, is you have your foundation plants. And you, you put in your foundation plants first, and then you place your other plants and bulbs around those plants. Absolutely. And you can think of a foundation plant as something that's going to be there basically permanently. And so I even think of a tree as a foundation plant. And I even, as you know, have fruit trees uh, in what are technically my flower beds because why not you know the the I'll tell you what one of my co most favorite combinations that I plant is I have a Meyer lemon tree mm -hmm. and it has lemons on it pretty much all year round with a bright yellow color against the the green foliage and then I love to plant underneath in front of that lemon tree um, blue iris bulbs oh. when the blue and the yellow are going off at the same time it's quite stunning really really pretty so it's okay to think outside the box and incorporate some edibles you know like your fruit trees into your flower buds um, I think it's you know quite a lovely combination you know I love that too but real quickly a couple things I need to say is that you're listening to KUCI at 88.9 in Irvine and also, the opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. Thanks for that little interlude there. I agree with you, Tina. I have lemon trees in my flower beds, the little Meyer lemons, and I also have some mandarin orange trees. Oh, beautiful. And I have one on each side of my front flower bed, and they just are so pretty. I don't want anybody to pick them, though, because they're so <laughs> cute. I mean, it's these little little oranges just growing, and they look so pretty, and they, they don't produce as much as my lemon tree, you know, and I'm like, oh, don't pick them. But it gives some height in the garden when it everything does. else is lower, and it makes things pop, and it just, I it love my does. lemon trees. Yeah, I think we've talked about that uh, thriller, filler, spiller concept before when we've talked about containers. But you can use that in your garden, too. And a fruit tree can be your your thriller, right? I, I mean, there's, it, it gives you that vertical accent, as you said. And it also gives you, when it's bearing fruit, that pop of color. You know, pomegranates with that beautiful red. Apple with a beautiful red or green. The lemons with their their bright yellow, the oranges with or other citrus with their orange color, just um, just beautiful. And there's there's no reason that you can't pick up on that color. For instance, if you had 
um, say an, an apple tree and you wanted to repeat that you know red color down in front of the apple tree you know choose choose an annual that is going to repeat that that color down below and or or complement it like I do with the blue iris and the yellow the yellow lemons it's uh it's fun. It's fun to play and around. It's studying. It's just not planting. You're thinking a little bit about it, but when these, you, when I see your garden, Tina, you don't know what's attracting you because there's so many different things, and the colors. How you have the colors complement either being a vegetable, vegetables complementing uh, flowers, and vice versa. It's just absolutely lovely. Oh, thanks. So as you're planting, kind of think about that a little bit if you really want to get into it. If not, just plant whatever. Yeah, plant whatever. The only the only thing that I I discovered because you know I'm I'm a an ex accountant, so I I don't I don't have much of a creative right brain. Um, but you just learn a few a few tricks, and one is this whole idea of clumps. If you you know planting one plant here and one plant there and one plant there is not very attractive to the eye. The eye wants to be taken on a tour through the garden. And so the way that you can make your eye go on a tour through the garden is to plant these groupings of things that then repeat themselves as you go through the garden. And that draws your eye from, you know, if, if it's the Shasta daisies, you see them here, and then, you know, another eight feet away, you see some more, and another eight feet away, you see some more. And that gives you a sense of continuity and it makes the whole garden fuse together and then in between you can have little surprises you know you can you can experiment with the the new the new plant that you've been dying to try or the one you walk into the nursery and say I have to have it exactly exactly I've never <laughs> seen it before but it's mine yeah um, but I'll just give our listeners a, a few ideas of, of uh, summer plants flowering plants annuals that they might want to plant now uh, other than you know the typical ones that you always see at the nurseries and the home improvement center would be, as I mentioned before, the marigolds and the petunias, and the vincas. But there are a ton of different sages that have different color flowers. There are the red sages, pink sages, blue sages, purples. So those are great for uh, this warm season. I have a new favorite one in my garden, the Nicotiana. Have you ever planted that? No. Tell Flow- us about that. Flowering tobacco. I I really like it. It um it has actually ended up being kind of a perennial in my garden because it never got cold this year. But I have this white flowering tobacco that gets about three feet tall. And it's not a, a flower that you can pick, but it blooms and blooms and blooms and blooms. And so I've really enjoyed that the last couple of years when I planted it. So so that, that's one you might be able to think of. It's real easy to grow from seed. And you would just ask for flowering tobacco? You can call it flowering tobacco or nicotiana, like nicotine. It's, it's a member of the tobacco family, so um, nicotiana. Cosmos are always great, super easy to grow. They were the first seeds I ever planted as a child when I was eight oh. years old. So those are, are still one of my favorites because and they're they easy and they grow super easy. Bloom like crazy forever and ever, all summer long. So those those are also great ones. The other one that I like um, to plant is Ageratum. And I like the tall varieties if you can find them. There are Ageratum that grow to be 18 to 24 inches tall. It's that blue fuzzy flower. Usually you see it um, as the low ones that are used like Mm -hmm. as edging. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a little uh, blue fuzzy flower. 
But um, I just got the tall ones at uh, Rogers Gardens, and I love those because they are really good for bouquets. Really? How yeah. do you spell that? Ageratum. A-G-E-R-A-T-U-M. Oh, I'm going to go look that one up. Yeah. And then another um, ground covery one that I that I like is uh, the verbena, the mm-hmm. low-growing verbena. Um, but then there's also the verbena bonariensis. And, you know, that's the one that gets tall and kind of wispy and willowy with a purpley thing. And that's great to put in the background. It just kind of, kind of like when you put baby's breath in a bouquet, if you put it in the kind of the background of your flower Kind of a soft filler. It does. And it gets, you know, three to four feet tall and has these, you know, real soft little uh, purpley blooms. But it's just like a filler. It uh, It's just a nice thing. And and that also will self-sow. If you... If you plant it once, odds are you you may have it in your garden for years to come. <laughs> so those are just some ideas um, for uh, plants that will last summer, all summer, and give you great color. Um, and then, of course, zinnias. Uh, if you can find zinnias, they, they will come out in the nurseries probably a little later in April if you can't find mm-hmm. them yet because that's one of those flowers that really likes hot weather. Hot weather. Yeah, so those are good to plant even in May and June. And if you live inland when it gets a little warmer. Yeah, and I love the taller zinnias for Mm -hmm. me because, again, I'm always looking for things I can cut and bring in the house. Uh, So just just be aware that zinnias by September um, or even sometimes the end of August start getting powdery mildew. So... You might have to pull them out, you know, towards the end of summer if they get that powdery mildew uh, really badly. But um, you can't beat the tall ones for cut flowers. So. And they're beautiful in the yard, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then in addition to the annuals, um, April is the second best time to plant perennials. Um, the best time is usually October. We like to plant them in the fall, the daylilies, shasta daisies. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't plant perennials in the fall, uh, do it do it in April. It's a it's a great time to do it as well. Now can we do our Shasta daisies too in April? Absolutely, yeah. And and some of those the status and the Shasta daisies, if you look, uh, you can find them in six packs. So if you don't want to spend a fortune on those one gallon plants, keep your eye out. I saw Shasta daisies in six packs and the status in six packs today. Really? Yeah, which is. Uh, much cheaper, you know, to spend oh, two ninety nine or three ninety nine on a six pack, and you get six plants rather than. And know. they grow fast. Oh, they do. And they grow fast, and you don't. Yeah, I mean, the difference is probably what a week a or month two or at two. most. Yeah. yeah. So I I love to buy the six packs whenever I can. It's you get a lot more bang for your buck. And also in April, if you have uh, plants that you want to divide. If you have perennials you want to divide, again, like daylilies or shasta daisies, uh, you can divide them now. Also. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about dividing? Yeah, it's it's not my favorite time of year to divide them, but you can divide them in April because, you know, we're not going to get our really hot weather. Well, I shouldn't say that because this year has been <laughs> hot already, but generally we don't get our hot weather until July, and so if you want to divide a perennial now and basically get free plants. Uh, Say you have a clump of daylilies, and depending on the size of the clump, if the clump is, say, you know, they can get to be 18 inches wide, those clumps Mm -hmm. of daylilies, um, you can dig up the whole clump, get, you know, a nice margin around the edge of the plant, dig deep to get the roots up, 
and then using uh, your your digging your shovel or your spade you can just literally chop through that clump again depending on how big it is you can divide it into two or maybe even into four pieces and then you can plant each of those pieces in a new area and you basically have you know more plants for free I think I'm going to be doing that with my Shasta daisies. Yeah, you can do it with the Shastas. Uh, there's a lot of things you can you can do it with. Um, basically, what you want to look for are plants that that um, have expanded their diameter, and so that you can see that there are uh, a lot of um, plants that are sending not a single stem down, but multiple stems down into the earth. If you have a plant um, like status, for instance, that that generally isn't as easy to divide because it often is sending up just the single stem with little side shoots, but the side shoots aren't rooted; they're attached to so pay the attention. main stem. So take a look. What you want to make sure you can do is get some roots along with the above ground part of the plant. So look for plants that um, have that kind of growing habit. Good point. Yeah. So, and then after you plant all of this stuff, both in the veggie garden and the flower garden, mulch, mulch, mulch. Mulch. Tell us about mulch and tell us about fertilizing. Yeah, we've, we've talked about um, mulch before, but it's, it's the single best thing that you can do for your garden, I think, uh, is after you plant your new uh, crops, whether they're flowers or vegetables, and they have grown a little bit. You don't you don't need to mulch, you know, right when they're only two inches high. But once they've grown a little bit, uh, then putting mulch down is a great way to help conserve water. And in this drought, we oh, want to conserve all the yes. water we can. But the way the reason I like it the best is because it keeps the weeds down. So the mulch that I like to use in vegetable gardens and flower beds is just compost, so either homemade compost or store-bought compost. And you want to put uh, about a three to four inch layer in between all your plants. And you don't want it to touch, as you know, the stems of your plants. You want to give a few inches around it, each stem of the plant. But the other thing that's great about mulch is it makes your garden look immensely tidy. It's incredible. <laughs> I was going to mention that. It just dresses up your garden. People, You could have the same garden, the same plants, and you put a layer of mulch on there, and it brings the ooh and ah factor. It's funny you say that because I, I had um, a little uh, film shoot, video shoot, in, in my garden last week, and one of the things that they did was they just spread mulch on top of the existing plants, it looked like the whole garden had been redone because they put this nice, fresh, they were using the chips, you know, mm -hmm. um, the brown chips. And those are great to use if you have permanent planting. So if you have trees that have shrubs maybe in between the trees, then I, in my front yard where I have permanent planting, I use the, the chips because those last longer. But when I'm working in the veggie garden and the it's a flower story. bed, yeah. we don't want those chunks because we turn that soil every season. And as you know, if those chunks get mixed in with the soil, they're going to steal the nutrients away from the plants as they try to decompose. So that's why I say just use compost as mulch 
if you are in a flower bed and a vegetable bed? I have done that before. And we've sucked all the nitrogen out of my plants. And my plants just did not look very good at all. No. So remember mulch, fine, fi finer mulch for the vegetable gardens. Right, absolutely. But it, again, if you have, you know, like along my driveway, I just have some podocarpus and some camellia plants. And, you know, those don't ever get taken out. They're in there permanently. So there I mulch with the chips. It's, uh, it's more economical, it's too. It's more economical. You only have to do it once a year. So, yeah. So mulch, 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 that's great. And then you asked about fertilizing. Oh, my gosh. If you are only going to fertilize once a year, when would you do it? Right now. Yes. <laughs> Everything is growing. Tell us about it, Tina. Fertilize. Fertilize. Well, you know, just like when you have your kids, you know, they're growing by leaps and bounds, and they, especially your teenage boys, want to eat everything in the house, right? Well, the plants right now, think of them as teenage boys. They are just growing like crazy. And, and so they're they, hungry. They're hungry. hungry. you got to feed those babies. They're saying, feed me and I'll be beautiful. Listen carefully. You'll hear them saying, feed me. So let's talk a little bit about fertilizer and what to use. I think we've talked about this in other shows, but it never hurts to refresh everybody's memory. The fertilizers usually have three main nutrients. They are nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, and potassium. You can look at a, any bag or box of fertilizer and you'll see three numbers like 8-6-4. What that is telling you is the percentage of the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and the potassium. And they're in that order. The nitrogen's first, then the phosphorus, then the potassium. The nitrogen is what encourages green growth. So if you're feeding a lawn, you want a high nitrogen fertilizer. The middle number, the phosphorus, encourages fruiting and flowering. So if you look at tomato food, you'll see that the nitrogen might be, if it's an organic fertilizer for instance, the nitrogen might be four and the phosphorus might be six and the potassium might be four in a tomato fertilizer. So, and then the, the last number, the potassium, uh, encourages overall plant health and good root growth and so on. So you don't have to be super anal about it, but if you want to be sure that you're getting the right fertilizer for the right plant, buy one that says tomato food if you're going to fertilize tomatoes. If you're going to fertilize citrus, buy one that says citrus. If you're going to fertilize a lawn, buy one that says lawn food. On the other hand, you can feed lettuce lawn food because lettuce likes nitrogen. So you just have to, you know, take a little bit of, um, use a little bit of common sense and um, not worry too much about it, but, but do try to remember what plant you're trying to accommodate. And it's really nice they have the names on it, what it's good for. And yeah. And just remember they're really hungry right now. And it's something you don't want to skimp on is not fertilizing. But let me ask you about over-fertilizing. Oh. Is a little good and a lot better? No, bad, bad, bad. That's, that's why we don't let my husband near the fertilizer. <laughs> 
because you know how guys are. Realize <laughs> what's this year? Let's use let's, the whole yeah, bag. Yeah, exactly. So, Dump uh, it in there. <laughs> and also, let's just take. If it's hungry, feed them. <laughs> let's just take a moment to tell you the difference, to mention and refresh our memory about the difference between organic and synthetic fertilizers. Organic fertilizers usually are less strong, and so that percentage number will be lower. So as I mentioned, you might see numbers in the single digits, like, you know, 555 for an organic balanced fertilizer. If you're getting a synthetic fertilizer, those numbers are going to be higher. So they're going to be 10-10-10 or 15-15-15, or if you're buying um, a liquid uh fertilizer like a miracle grow kind of fertilizer that middle number for the blooms if you're getting one for the blooms could be as high as you know 20. So for the synthetic fertilizers especially because they are more concentrated only use exactly what they say to use. Mix it according to the directions only use it as often as they tell you so that you don't burn your plants. Listen to Tina on this one. <laughs> Oh, believe me, we've both, Katrina and I have both burned our fair share of plants before we learn not to do that. <laughs> um, with the organic fertilizers, it's not quite as uh, problematic, so we don't have to worry about that quite so much. You know, there's just so much to learn about this, and it's just exciting. And just read the directions on the back of the bag and follow the directions. Don't go over, but do fertilize. Yeah. And your plants will be really, really happy, and they will thank you, and you'll fill up their appetite, and then they'll give you beautiful flowers, or they'll give you some great vegetables. Right, right. So, so do feed, though. As we said, if there's one thing you, one time of year you want to feed, this would be the time of year. Particularly when you're talking about your permanent plantings, like your trees and your shrubs. Give them food this time of year so that they have a good healthy growth season especially uh, your fruit trees so if you're going to um, feed your fruit trees uh, you, you could have started last month um, for feeding fruit trees but if you did not um, you do want to feed some fruit trees this month exciting okay yeah. what should we talk about now we have about oh about 10 minutes left about 10 minutes left well let's talk a little bit about um, lawn care um, we know that there are basically two kinds of lawns. Uh, there's a warm season lawn and a cool season lawn. And we want to kind of taper off feeding our cool season lawns. Those um, like cooler weather. And so we're not going to want to feed those when we get into June, July, and August. You can give them a little, little last feeding this month if you want. Um, and it is time to start feeding though those warm season lawns. They're gonna they go a little bit dormant, although they probably didn't this year since we didn't really get winter. But they often go a little bit dormant in winter, and then when spring comes, of course, they start growing like crazy. So now's the time to feed your warm season lawns as well. And let me guess, we can go get a fertilizer that just says lawn fertilizer? You can, yes. And, and we can follow the directions? Follow the directions. And, and we're not going to put more on than what it says? That's right. And you can use an organic lawn fertilizer if you choose or a synthetic, but um, be sure that you follow the directions um, as to how much to apply. And also as the grass is, is growing and the days are getting hotter, 
you, if you're cutting your own lawn or you can instruct your gardener to uh, raise the level of the lawnmower a little bit. If you let your grass be a little bit taller as the weather gets hotter, it shades the roots more and it conserves some of the water so we want to conserve water yeah we want to uh, if we do still have lawns we want to um, be sure that we're doing everything we can to not use too much water and then when we're watering the lawn we want to water it a little bit more so the if, and less frequently to for the roots to grow a little deeper yeah, what we what we like to do uh, for lawns is is actually for any irrigation. I, I do it in my whole yard. Is we do cycled irrigation. Mm -hmm. So that means if and and check your water bill. Most water districts I know in Irvine, uh, the water district here, when you get your water bill, tells you for this time of year how many time, how many minutes you should be watering your lawn and how many days. So really? if you if you aren't sure, check your water bill. If you live in Irvine, and most of our listeners, within the sound of our voice, a lot of them are in Irvine, um, do check uh, Irvine Ranch Water District water bills. They will give you advice on those as to what you should be irrigating uh, your, not just your lawn, but the rest of your yard as well. Uh, and, and they also recommend what's called cycling, and that means that you... Instead, say they, they want you to water your lawn for six minutes twice a week. Rather than just letting the sprinkler run for the whole six minutes, let the sprinkler on the lawn station run for three minutes, then go let it go through all your other stations. Mm -hmm. Then do a second pass where you have all of your stations come on again so that your lawn will get a second three minutes you know, maybe an hour later. So to absorb it more thoroughly. Exactly. We, we've all seen people running their sprinklers and half the water is going out into the street, oh, right? Oh, that kills me. Yeah. So if you only do it for three minutes, odds are it's not going to be running off into the street. Then that lawn has a chance to accept that water. And when you have the second pass, it soaks in even deeper. So uh, the cycling is, is a great thing to do. I actually just do it all year, year round. But... As the weather warms up, you know, check that water bill. You'll probably have to, instead of watering twice a week, you know, you may need to add an extra day if you if you still have lawns. Also, one, one thing about um, native plants, I feel bad because I, I don't often talk about the native plants probably, and we should be talking about that more that. as the water situation gets worse and worse. And April is pretty much the last month that you're going to want to plant any native plants. And the reason for that is, is that the hot weather is going to be coming and most native plants go dormant somewhat in the warm weather and they don't actively grow. So that's why we usually like to have folks plant those native plants in the fall. That's the best to do it before the winter rains in, you know, the end of October, November, and then hopefully we get rain in December, January, and February. Not so much this year, but, um, but if you are still wanting to add some native plants, Go ahead and do it this month, but then wait till fall to, to do it again. Um, you'll have a lot better success if you, if you do that. Are you switching to many native plants where you are? Starting to. Starting to? Starting to. It's, yeah. I have a big yard. It's a big job. So I'm now out looking. Yeah. Like, well, what do I want to do so I don't have to do it again? Yeah. Well, we have, you know, we're really lucky we have... Um, a great native plant nursery down in San Juan, Cap Capistrano Tree of Life, and they are 
you know, really great about helping you transition out of lawns if you want to transition out of lawn. And I've noticed that even our big box retailers are carrying some natives or California friendly, even if they're not natives, they're more drought tolerant kind of plants. Tree of Life is a wonderful place to go to. If you don't quite know what to do, you can go there and just wander through their grounds. Yeah, they are. They're they're really, really helpful, and they, they grow a lot of it themselves, so they're absolutely experts on it. Do we have enough time to talk a little bit about pests and, and uh, we diseases? We have about four minutes. Okay, good. That that should be good. Because you know what else is growing this time of year? Bugs. Bugs diseases. and weeds. <laughs> Yeah, darn. <laughs> I don't know why, but they seem to be liking the warm weather as well. So keep an eye out. This is the month to be out in your garden a lot, planting new stuff. And as you're doing that, just keep an eye out on your roses if you have roses or on your tomatoes if you've planted tomatoes. And keep an eye out for those pests because if you catch them early, you're going to be a lot more successful at controlling them. What what pests do you typically see in your garden this time of year? Snails. Yes. That would be the number one uh, pest, I think, for April is snails. So get that snail bait out, you know. There's an or, there's organic and, snail bait that you can use if in your veggie garden. And you I, could just pull the snails off and step on them too. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. But I notice my lettuce is really getting eaten, so I think... The lettuce plants have gotten so big that I, I'm not really seeing the snails. Mm. They're probably under. So I need to go out and sprinkle some snail bait and get rid of those guys because they're eating more of the lettuce than I am. Oh, can't have that happen. Tina, tell us about a couple more things and then we need to sign off. Yeah, the other thing that you'll see with this flush of new growth that's happening, particularly on roses, is aphids. That's probably the other pest that you're going to start seeing a lot of. And the aphids are actually pretty easy to control with just a jet of strong water. Put your hose nozzle on that gives you that really strong jet and just squirt them off. And you need to keep doing that every few days. So just when you go out to water, you know, have that nozzle handy and squirt the aphids off as you see them. If they start having a, a real garden party in your garden, you can use insecticidal soap. Uh, that's uh, also a, a relatively... Uh, non-threatening uh, pesticide to use if, if you want to start using a, a milder, least toxic pesticide. Use Try some insecticidal soap on that. And then just keep an eye out on your um, citrus trees, especially the ants will start getting active, actually in the whole yard, not just on the citrus trees, but they'll start getting active in the whole yard. And if you control ants, you control so many other pests. The ants actually farm the aphids. They also farm scale and some other white flies uh, to get the honeydew that these other insects secrete. So one of the things that you can do is put those ant stakes out, and that, that'll help. And if you see them coming to your citrus trees, you can also put a duct tape around the trunk of your citrus tree and put what's called tanglefoot, which is this sticky substance. You can paint it on the duct tape. You don't want to paint it right directly on the trunk, but you can wrap fabric or duct tape around the trunk, paint that tanglefoot on, and then when they climb up the trunk to get to the tree, they get stuck in the tanglefoot. So that's an, a good way to control those ants and keep them out of your citrus. So 
Indeed, indeed. Oh, Tina, thank you so much. What an exciting time of year in the yard, and I hope everybody's enjoyed the show today, and I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you, Tina. And, and we are Katrina and Tina. We are UC Master Gardeners. If you have any questions, go to our website at uccemg.com. And I thank you for being with us today and looking forward to, uh, to next week. Take care.